we see in the reading today our own hearts. The people's long-awaited Messiah arrives in the city of God and the crowd go crazy. The evil twin of this passage is what takes place in Luke chapter 23, 13 to 25, just one week later, just one week, where the same crowd are given the choice between freeing a known serial killer called Barabbas, whom they previously feared, or the Messiah, who did not rule how they wanted the Messiah to rule. And so, obviously, they yell, crucify him, kill him. A week earlier, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That's very strange, right? Very strange. That would be like us voting in a leader, perhaps a prime minister, and shortly after realising that the person we voted in to do what we want them to do isn't actually able to or going to do what we wanted them to do. And so what do we do as a result? We vote them out. We vote them out. No, you had your stint. You weren't good enough. We'll vote you out. It's unheard of, isn't it? We'd never do that. The whole system's built on that, isn't it? Because what we really want is freedom. What the Jewish people wanted when they yelled Hosanna in the highest when the Messiah came in was freedom. There's a political party at the moment whose catchphrase is freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. A mate of mine was telling me that when they first became established, their numbers grew by 60,000 people in the space of a week. Insane growth and support of a political party. Because people saw freedom, that's what we want. We want freedom. We all want freedom. People believed that a political party could give them the true freedom that they wanted. The freedom they deserved. The freedom that they understood was even possible. Here's the problem with any government, though. To give one person freedom means you give somebody else oppression. To give over here means you need to take from over there. Because what one person thinks is freedom, another thinks is oppression. I'll give you a very topical example. Some people feel that their rights have been taken away from them if they are mandated to have a vaccine. It's a total, yeah, but that's how people feel. People feel like, because I'm mandated to have a vaccine, my rights have been taken away from me. It's a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate thought to hold. But at the very same moment, some people feel that their rights have been taken away from them if they can't live in a society where everybody is vaccinated. What do you do? If you're the government, what, what do you do? Someone loses freedom that they quite rightly want and that they expect their government to give them. But if the government don't live up to their expectation, if the government don't do what we want them to do, then we vote them out and we vote somebody else in and we go into a new season of politics. That's our right. But... 
and it's a huge but. There is no government structure in the world that can ensure freedom for all. It's an impossibility. But we think it can. We want it to. Something in our heart cries, this should be better than this, shouldn't it? Just like the Jews wanted Jesus to bring the freedom that they expected, a freedom from Rome. Come on, Jesus. Yes, you've arrived. Huh? Oh, we didn't expect it to go that way. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> we got it wrong. Wrong Messiah again. We'll vote this guy out. Get rid of him. We'll go on to the next. The problem is that Jesus was an absolutely dreadful politician. Terrible. If you want to learn about politics, do not follow Jesus. You should follow Jesus for a host of other reasons. It's a terrible soundbite, isn't it? Ralph said today, don't follow Jesus. No, 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 follow Jesus. But Jesus was a dreadful politician. Most Australian prime ministers, most, survive more than a week in office. I did say most. Jesus had a week of popularity, of being voted in by the general public, yes, and then voted out by that same public. He was a dreadful politician because he came to offer us something that governments cannot offer, freedom from sin. That's what Jesus came to offer. To take away the sin over there the sin of humanity, and to put that sin on somebody else. And as God is working out how to take the sin of all of humanity and put it on someone else, Jesus says, put it on me. Put your sin, put their sin on me. I know I don't deserve it, but put it on me. I will deal with it. And so God does. God takes the sin of humanity and puts it on Christ, on himself. And he can do that. He's the only one that can do that because Jesus is God. And Jesus dethrones sin. Jesus exhausts sin's power. And that's what makes Jesus a king, not a prime minister, not a politician, not a government official, king. And a king doesn't need a government. A king has a kingdom. And let me explain the difference for you. You would have noticed by now, if you don't know me, that I've got two kids, Zari and Haim, and they are angels. They never do anything wrong. They never fight. They never quarrel. Isn't this true? <laughs> Love the honesty. So if we were going on a holiday car trip, so we're driving somewhere, we chuck the kids in the back, they never fight. They never squabble. There's never a moment where one of them reaches over and just, just out of fun, taps the other. And there's never a moment when the one getting tapped takes huge offence at this tap and replies with a poke. And then the poke is responded with a slighter, harder hit, and the hit's responded with a slap, and then a punch, and then a kick, and it's warfare in the back seat. That never happens in my car. But if it did... On the rare occasion that it would, if we were operating like a government in the car, this is what I would do. I would say, oh, kids, just let's talk about this like adults. It's, the way you're treating each other is, is terrible. It's affecting the quality and, and sustainability of the car. So let's, let's talk this out. Like, how, do you, how are you feeling, Zari? And Zari would say, oh, I'm, 
I took great offence that Hamish would reach over and touch me. I say, Hamish, that's that's not on. What do you think, Ham? And Ham would say, I am deeply grieved that I did that. I, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry, Dad. I'd say, Lyndall, my wife, Lyndall, what do you think? And Lyndall would be like, yeah, it's just really stressful. I'd hope we had a good holiday. I'd say, well, would you still like to be part of this? And Lyndall would say, I think we could if the kids could behave. And we'd all agree. And we'd continue on to our holiday. That's what a government looks like. Now, growing up, I had a brother. And what I've just explained was not my experience. Ever. And as my kids would attest to you today, that, that, that's not what happens when we fight. When we fight, when they fight, when I never fought with my brother, it was always my brother. I was the innocent party, but he was always poking and prodding and like stirring me up. So whenever he would sin, there would be this moment, it would escalate and escalate until the point when we realized whose kingdom we were sitting in. And it wasn't mine. And it wasn't my brother's, just like it's not Zari's or Hames. And, and the first indicator was the car traveling at 100k an hour on the motorway would dramatically slow down. And it sends chills through your bones because the king of the car is making a decision. And then the second worst sound is the indicator. Oh, no. And then, as this is taking place, a hand would reach from the driver's seat to stop any conflict that was happening. And if at that point we backed down, we were obedient to the king who was driving, then we might resume as we were traveling, speed, and we'd head to wherever we were going on holiday. Because it was dad's kingdom, the car. How dad wanted it to go, what dad had in mind, how it was gonna be was how it was gonna be. Dad's rules. In a kingdom, the king has the rules. It's not up for grabs what everybody wants and to try and make things work. In a kingdom, the king holds the rules. You see, kingdoms work differently to governments. And kingdoms work incredibly well if the king is love. If the king is love, things work well. You see, we too often look at our faith like we're part of God's government when we're actually part of Jesus' kingdom. So it's no wonder we can get disillusioned with our faith. We, we expect that our opinion and our cries to God would somehow sway God toward what's preferential for us. He's the king. He doesn't need anything from us. He says, I give you my entire life. I give you freedom from sin. I give you all the grace. Trust me. Trust me, because this is how my kingdom works. I'm a good God. I'm a God of love, and I want to bestow that upon you. And the more he bestows that upon us, the idea is that our sin gets less. We have... I'm not competing. We have less uh, um, rebellion in our hearts toward God. The more God loves us, the more we receive God's love. That's how God's kingdom works. But we struggle with that. We struggle with that, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said to those who are following him, seek first the kingdom of God and all righteousness will be given to you. You've got to seek it. You've got to search it out because if you don't, you'll miss the kingdom 
and you'll think it's a government. And the way God operates is not a government. It's a kingdom. And a kingdom has so much more hope for us and so much more promise and so much more freedom from the things that we really need to be freed from. And not only should we seek it, but we should seek it first. Before we assert our opinions on God, before we charge off without him, before we get sidetracked by something that's brighter, shinier or prettier, before we jump to the conclusion that things are not fair, before we decide that our sin isn't actually that bad after all, before all of that, Jesus says, seek first my kingdom. Seek my kingdom. When we don't seek God's kingdom first, we end up renting space in what we think is the government of God rather than inhabiting and buying space that's in the kingdom of God. So renting looks like these. I'm going to name a few things. And the reason I name them is I've seen them in my life in the past. I think we need to do a heart analysis, a heart audit. So, So this is what renting in the kingdom of heaven looks like. It's when we follow Jesus when it's popular to do so, but not difficult. It's when we follow Jesus, but it's convenient. If it's inconvenient, we we don't do it. It's too difficult, but if it's convenient. We're renting space in the kingdom of God when, when it doesn't put pressure on our family life. When it seems to benefit us more than it does detriment, be detrimental to us when it's about coming to church on a Sunday but do we like Monday to Saturday that's renting space in the kingdom of God or the opposite it's about saying I'm a good person I just don't go to church but I'm a good person therefore I'm a Christian it's kind of renting space in the kingdom of God you're missing the heart of the kingdom when it's easier to say the right things rather than do the right things When it's easy to go to church and critique what's happening rather than realizing I'm part of the church, I am the church. See, renting takes up all manner of forms. But it happens when our heart is not caught up in the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. And when when you're a renter, you know what happens when you rent? You eventually want to move out, right? You don't want to stay in a rental forever. Now, there may be exceptions to this, but generally you rent because it's a step toward getting somewhere. You eventually want to move out because there are better places to live in. You rent as a a temporary thing, but there's better places to live in where you get your rights and your freedoms and all the things that you want and that you deserve. That's why you rent. But there's nowhere outside of the kingdom of God where you can find release and relief from your sin. There is nowhere else you can live that will be better than the kingdom of God. So it's time to stop renting in the kingdom of God and then start inhabiting. Because we don't want sin. Sin breaks everything. Sin messes everything up. If you look at the any of the dysfunction or hurt or mess in your life, in our society, it's the result of sin. And Jesus says, I will free you from that. I will offer you freedom from that. But interestingly, in Romans 6.18, it says, you have been set free from sin. So Paul is writing to those who are saved. 
those who are part of the church, been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. You see that? The Bible understands there is no such thing as freedom if we understand freedom as having no master. We will always have a master. You're always going to be slave to something or someone. You'll always worship something or someone. And if you can't work out what that is, if you're sitting there going, well, it might not be Jesus for me, but I don't know what that is. The hard news is it's you. You are the person that you worship. And if we want to look at how badly and poorly that looks, we just look at the levels of mental illness that people are struggling with when they put themselves first. And I'll talk a little bit about the struggle and the tension of that shortly. Paul often said, I am a slave to Christ. Such strange language. I'm a slave to Christ. In Romans 1.1, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave to Christ. Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. That's what it means to inhabit the kingdom. Not rent when it seems convenient, but to buy a block of land, to stake our claim on the kingdom of God, to pull an eternal mortgage and be willing to live under the commands of the king. I am committed to your kingdom, God. Take away my rental mentality. I'm here to stay. To follow those commands of the king. And so what are the commands of the king? It's good news. It's easy. Jesus tells us. John 13. He says, A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. It was new. Because in a government, you don't need to love anyone else except yourself. Who you will vote on is largely dependent on what benefits you. It's the governmental system. That's why we cry, Hosanna, and then we cry, crucify him. That's why the Jews went, yes, he's here. Hang on, didn't work out how we thought it would. It was just renting space in the kingdom. It was the disciples, it was the women in particular that followed Christ all the way through to the cross. And then the risen grave, which we'll do on next weekend. But to live in the kingdom requires you to love. Love is how life is sustained in the kingdom of God. Love is how the king treats us in his kingdom. Love is what is commanded of us because it is an absolute importance at sustaining life in the kingdom. And here's what I have discovered. After following Jesus for a long time, I could work it out, but... I'm not going to put my mind to that math this morning. But there's a tension. There's a tension I see in me between inhabiting the kingdom and doing everything Jesus commands me to do and then kind of renting and wanting life to do life my way, my terms. Are you with me on this? I hope it's not just me, just confessed. But we struggle, right? I, w I want to do everything Jesus asked me to do all the time but sometimes I don't. I want to inhabit the kingdom, but sometimes I have a renter's mentality. I want friendship from the king. I want freedom from my sin. I want to belong to something that heads away from sin and all that sin calls. But sometimes I'm part of this space. I was walking through a, a, a Target the other day. And I looked over and I saw on the, um, on the shelf an item which took me back instantaneously about 10 years ago. It was like one of those 
If you're watching a movie, it'd be cool transition and you'd be back to a 10 year younger Ralph without an amazing beard. <laughs> and so I'm taken back to this situation where I had that item and I was selling that item. And I sold that item, um, I put it online and a friend saw it and said, can I buy it? Totally, absolutely done deal. A month later, after them having it and using it, they came back to me and they said, it's not quite what we were after. You know where this is headed. Can we get our money back, do a reverse exchange, and you can sell it onto somebody else? And I, I, I immediately went, no. <laughs> so, I'm in Target the other day, I see this item, I'm taken back to that situation. Why was I taken back to that situation? I'm looking at this situation, I realize, I'm like, have I had another conversation with that friend since that 10 years ago? Was that the last engagement I had with that person on that and then it was done and something's happened in their heart or whatever and I've just forgot about the story until the other day and I realized as I was reflecting on this, that when I made the call, there was no prayer in it. There was no seeking God. There was no finding other wisdom. There was no reading the scripture. It was simply not done, no way. That would just be a massive hassle to me. It doesn't make sense in my head. And I realized that that is evidence in me of a renter's mindset. Like, sure, I love dwelling in the kingdom of God, but when a decision comes up, sorry, God, I got this. I can handle this. This one's an easy one. Nope. And then we realized, oh gosh, were the things that happened as a result of that particular decision. I don't think I made the wrong decision, but I do think the way I made the decision wasn't as good as it should have been. It's that. It's the how we make the decision that determines whether we're renting or inhabiting. That's what it means to rent space in the kingdom of God. I recall a long while ago when a friendship that I had with someone was really, uh, it was good, it was going fine, and then one day they did something that hurt me deeply. But I don't think they quite realized that they'd done that. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where, where when you look back, you're like, they don't even realize how much they hurt me, but they hurt me. And as a result of that, see, wiser Ralph would now say, and I'm not saying I'm wise, but wiser, would say the younger Ralph would say, it, Ralph, it's up to you how much you take on the hurt. Like, they wronged you, but you have taken on too much hurt from this. But younger Ralph didn't quite get that. And so younger Ralph, when he saw this person, something interesting happened inside. My heart grew cold. Every time I saw that person, I, I, there was this hardness in my heart. Do you, do you ever get that in some situations? You get knots in your stomach, You're like, I wish they weren't here, or I wish I wasn't here. You, your thinking patterns deteriorate rapidly. And then it doesn't just fix when you walk away or they walk away. It can take hours or days or weeks to get back on an even keel. But I am determined to inhabit the kingdom of God, not just to rent I'm going to participate in the kingdom of God. I'm not just going to spectate and go, oh. And when we spectate in the kingdom, when we rent in the kingdom, 
We refuse ownership of the things the king wants ownership of. And so we just go, I'm going to avoid that person. I just never want to see them again. And if I know they're going to be somewhere, I'm not going to be there. That's how we solve the problem when we're renting. But I'm like, I don't want to rent. I want to live in, I want to inhabit the kingdom of God. And so I actually asked the person, I fronted them one day, I said, can we talk? And we sat down and I shared with them the, the um, guilt and sin and hurt that I had. And I said, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have treated you that way. But when this happened, I felt this way. And they said, I had no idea. I knew things were a bit strange because you've been distant. I had no idea I hurt you. I, I didn't mean to. I said, I know you didn't mean to. It's easier with a clear mindset a little bit down the track. And we had good conversation, a thorough conversation, and we restored that friendship. That's what happens when we live in and inhabit the kingdom of God, not just when we rent. When we rent, we walk away. We don't have to stay. Just renting, I can move away. It's too difficult. That's why it's a new command that Jesus gives to us. Love one another as I have loved you. Out of the love God has given us, we are to give to others. Doing all we can to live at peace with others. I remember a season where I was diagnosed with clinical depression. It was a long, long time ago now. And I've talked to this a, bit, a little bit about this. But basically, I got really, really sick. And as a result, became more and more um, looking in on myself. And what was really interesting is the conversation I would have in my head when I was isolated and sick began to deteriorate in health. And very quickly, if you allow it, when you move to that point, you can start saying terrible things about other people, terrible things about yourself, and terrible things about your faith and God. You don't say them out loud. You'd never say them out loud. But you say them really clear in your mind. It was like listening to a radio station that was constantly playing these songs of condemnation to me and everybody else. That could, I couldn't turn it down, I couldn't walk away from it, and I couldn't change the channel. I was stuck in this space. And as a result, I didn't do anything the king wanted. I didn't please Jesus at all. I wasn't obedient to what Jesus asked. I wasn't loving or compassionate to others. I wasn't enjoying the friendship of the king. But God allowed me to stay. It's incredible, right? God doesn't boot us out of the kingdom. We want to rent in the kingdom. God doesn't say, <coughs> no, 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 overstage your welcome. Sorry, move on. God says, look what I did on the cross. What I did on the cross for you. Inhabit Give up your rental mindset and inhabit. Live here with me. Be here with me. It's not for God's benefit. It's for ours. It's for ours. You see, renting in the kingdom is to see how the grace of God works but not experience it. You see the grace of God in others' lives and you're like, why is that not? Why am I not experiencing it? It's to understand how faith works, but not live by faith. It's to witness God's presence, but not be transformed by it. 
It's to be relieved of our sin, but still feel guilty and still feel shameful for it. So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for those of you that this message in some way, shape or form has struck a, struck a chord. And you're there, you're like, ah, yep, I've been renting. You can recognize a situation or a, or a scenario where you've been renting. Or, or perhaps you've listened to this and you'd be like, I've been renting my entire life. <laughs> I've never actually moved into the kingdom of God and inhabited and, and, and lived there. Or maybe some of you, some of you uh, see, see this need in you to step more and more into what God has and you're, you're not sure how to move toward that. And so in just a sec, I'm going to invite you just to put up your hand and I'm going to pray for you. And, and, and I think there's two reasons why we wouldn't put up our hands. The first would be what will everybody else think? The second is, I don't want to. And if you don't want to, that's, that's on God's spirit to convince you and talk to you. But if you're thinking, what would other people think? There's two things other people would think. If they haven't got their hand up as well, they'll be thinking, please put up your hand. Because it's so good living in the kingdom of God. I'm praying that you put up your hand if you need to put up your hand and get prayer. <coughs> and then others are thinking, ah, oh, I, I don't have the courage to do that at the moment. And that's okay too. But this is between you and God. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's between you and God. <coughs> so I want to give you a moment just to sit in quiet silence. And then I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to put up your hand. And if you put up your hand, I'm just going to pray. I'm not going to name you. I'm just going to pray for those who put up their hand. So let's come before God in prayer. Let's pray. After listening to the Spirit of God, if you want a prayer this morning, please put up your hand. Just raise your hand. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for Jesus the King. And we invite your ministry amongst us now. We invite you to continue to transform our hearts. To soften our hearts, to open them to you. Lord, forgive us for a renter's mentality. Forgive us for living as a renter in your land. Forgive us, Lord, for not yet stepping into your land. May you welcome us with such open arms that your grace washes us clean. That your mercy relieves us of the debt that we owe you. That we would not be held captive by mistakes past, by the condition of our previous heart, that Lord, we will be wholly yours. And for those that have had the faith, to put up their hand today, Lord, 
respond to their faith, honor their faith. Bless them and minister to them right now, Lord. We are your people and you are our God and we are so thankful, Lord. Help us to live in your kingdom fully, we pray. Amen.